You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. So last week I was sitting at this bar, and not that kind of bar. You're so quick to judge. You're so quick. Hold on before I tell you that. Hey, did anybody take Monty up on his offer to read through Romans 12 with him? You know, we're not walking through the book, the entire book, all 16 chapters of Romans, just chapter 12 for a few weeks. Anybody been reading through that? I've been rereading through this text, and it's amazing what Paul just pushes out there in terms of this is what the Christian life is about. And what stood out to me was, if you read through this, you see that sometimes it's about you, isn't it? The individual. It's about someone. You're reading through this text, or you're thinking about church, God, the Christian life, whatever, and it's about you. And then you read through it, and you realize, wait a minute. This idea of church is intentionally by our great God, informing and forging a community of people. So you realize it's also about us. And then you keep reading through, especially Romans chapter 12, and you see, wow. You also make another transition, and you realize that it's about others. So it's really powerful text, and I would encourage you again, if you've not been reading it, if you're not familiar with it, Romans 12. You can read through it 10 to 15 minutes. I would encourage you to try to do it four or five, six times a week, maybe every day. Put it as part of your devotional time. Read it, reread it, soak it in. Because you see that there's an ebb and flow with it as well, especially with you and us and others. And the section we're in today is Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And it's actually not about you, not about others. It's about us. And you see that this, Paul has this rhythm which with he writes. And he's talking about you or the individual people. And then he starts talking about the church's mission and other people. But in this little section, it's actually about us. It's about Christians. And you think about it, that's kind of replete throughout the entire New Testament. And I'm so thankful that we have a weekly gathering where we can open up the Word of God together because occasionally, you and I, and you know this, because it's true for me as well, you can get very comfortable with certain sections of Scripture, certain patterns, and that's how you become, that's how you start filtering Christianity. That's your deepest convictions, your views. And there's a whole plethora of other stuff out here, teaching by Paul, Peter, James, whole new Old Testament, and stuff that we don't bring in too some of our basic beliefs or some of our core convictions. So an opportunity like, like this allows us to engage that. A rapid fire, I want you to notice what the text, or the New Testament actually, says about this concept of us. Not you, not others, but us as a church. John 13, Jesus said, Hey, as I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this, by us loving one another, you will know, the world will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, us. John 17, many of you know this is the entire chapter. Jesus is praying. He's praying about his relationship to God and his disciples and then his relationship to all who will follow him. And he says, I'm praying, God, also for those who will believe in me through the message of these 12 that I'm sending out, those people who have been following me. I'm praying that all of them, that includes us, a couple of centuries later, that we may be one, us. And then you got Galatians 6, and this is one of my favorites. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family 
of believers. Us, especially. So I'm sitting at this bar, and it's actually at a coffee shop, so you can read the sigh of relief. You don't have to fire off an email to me. I wasn't drinking anything other than coffee. I'm sitting there, I'm watching this barista fill my drink, and forgive me, I don't know, do you look at people and just judge them sometimes? Or is that just a pastor thing? Do you do that? Yeah? Okay, so I'm assessing this individual. She's making the coffee. And I'm thinking, God, how could I, how could I have an in into her life? Could you give me an open door that I could speak on behalf of you into her life? What would that look like? And I'd seen this individual several times and kind of on a first name basis. But if you know anything about this particular coffee shop, they're encouraged to learn everybody's first name. So it's not really a big deal. And I'm trying to figure out what would it take? What kind of conversation could we strike up? What could we do? So I've got my books open and I'm reading, I'm actually reading through uh, some of the words of Jesus and I'm reading a leadership book. She comes over, passes the coffee over the, some of the coffee machines onto the bar. And she says, so what are you reading? And I say, well, I'm reading a little bit about leadership and I'm reading a little bit about Jesus and what he has to say to me. And she walks back to her little station, starts fixing some more coffee. And I'm kind of assessing where she's at in life, maybe rubbing up to the brink of an unfair judgment. Nothing like critical or harmful, nothing, you know, aggressive, but just, I bet she's not one of us. And then she looks over her shoulder and she says, well, I've been reading through Romans for some time now. And my mouth kind of drops, almost hits the bar. I'm thinking, you? You're reading the Bible. And you're reading through Romans. And here I am, sitting there assessing you, judging you, thinking, what could be an end into your life? So I don't know if God gave me an open door, or I don't know if I was just on the wrong end of judging this individual. But when you think about what people look like, and you think about they may be one of us, it gets a little tricky, doesn't it? That's probably why in chapter 12, Paul takes some time and says, hey, you know what? Kind of like what Monty said last week. Transformation comes by a renewed mind. So in verse 3, Paul picks that up and he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Hang on this screen for just a second. This idea of think, this word think, it simply means an opinion, a very powerful personal opinion that you have that's played out in action. That's what think means. There's a great little book I'm reading through. It's about race and it's called The Little Things. And the author, I think her name is Lena Williams. She's talking about there's all these little things, nuances about races and about different people. When we look at those things, and we have kind of a misunderstanding of what those represent. And then that leads to kind of a break of trust, which leads to miscommunication, which leads to anger. So when you have a very deep or personal opinion about someone else, maybe you're sitting at a bar and you're just assessing them. Maybe they're a different race or they're very different from you. And you have that type of opinion it often plays out in certain behaviors. So Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly. This more highly phrase simply means to go beyond the limits. There's, a, there's an amount of which you should think about yourself. There's a standard, there's a bar. You don't have to have low self-esteem. You don't go, have to go around playing the victim or berate yourself. You can think of yourself in good terms, but don't go beyond the limits and think you're better, if you will, 
But some more of Paul's teachings later on, Corinthians says, sometimes you look at the people who are part of us and you actually see them as lesser parts of one body. And it's really neat to consider when you look around at a group of people who you would consider lesser. Is it the youth? Is it the older generation? What's lesser? Is it legal? Illegal? Lesser? Is it Democrat? Is it Republican? Is it black? Is it white? To go beyond the limits of what you should be thinking and set yourself up above someone else. That's not how us should do it. So he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And this is a neat phrase too. It simply means safe. Safe because you're able to step back and look at both sides of an issue and then make a very sound, informed decision. So in other words, after this lady looks over her shoulder and says, I'm reading through Romans, then I can really start assessing the situation. Not before that. So it's kind of really interesting. Well, he goes right into chapter uh, chapter 12, verses 4, verses 4 and 5. Each of us has one body, many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Us, we belong. So do you know anything about the background of Romans It's really interesting, the background of Romans. You've got Christianity kind of spreading into the world. This gospel of Jesus is taking root and it's kind of moving on. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he didn't didn't found this church and he had not visited this church up to this point. We see later on that he wanted to move on to a missionary journey and eventually visit this, this particular church in Rome, but he hadn't been there up to this point. So he's writing to these Christians, and it's really interesting because we have this snippet of something that happens in the book of Acts. So can I get historical just for a moment? Your permission to do that, is that okay? Acts chapter 18. Notice this language. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had been, here's where it gets good. Claudius had ordered all Jews with their racial distinctions with their religious interests and distinctions, with their understanding of politics and government. He had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. All Jews leave Rome. So the Jews leave Rome with their understanding of race and religion and politics. And while they're there, the church keeps going. It doesn't shut its doors but it's all Gentile Christians, non-Jewish people with their understanding of race, with their understanding of religion, their understanding of politics. And they keep this church going. And as it moves on for four or five, six years, what happens is this Gentile church, they're not very interested in the synagogue that the Jews had met in. Uh, Make it personal. Remember when Northeast had a transition from traditional to contemporary music? Very similar, deeply rooted, embedded opinions playing themselves out in action. So these Gentile Christians had no interest in the Jewish roots of Christianity. 
They had their own understanding of us. Well, some time goes on, and this edict where Claudius says, all Jews out of Rome, that passes. So Jewish Christians start coming back into Rome. So now you've got two groups of people with totally different understandings of race and religion and politics, and they're coming together. So Paul has to come along and say, hey, you look different. You talk differently a lot of times. Maybe you're assessing and judging one another. But because of Christ and your belief in him, you're one. And that's the prayer of Jesus. Now do good to each other. You belong to each other. Isn't that powerful? So you can imagine what this text first meant when Paul penned it. This was huge. Can you imagine the Gentiles or the Jews stepping back and saying, wait a minute. With all these differences, we're still supposed to get along and move forward. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, the staff here at Northeast, we went to Catalyst One Day. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's just like a Christian leadership conference. And I think it's put on by North Point, if I'm not mistaken. No, I can't remember. Don't, don't quote me on that. I can't remember. But we go to this conference, and there's this speaker, Brian Loritz. And he gives a powerful, powerful explanation about some of the nuances of race, if you will. One of his quotes, check this out. He says, at its necessary core, the civil rights movement dealt with law for which I, as a black man, am forever grateful. But at its corresponding core, race, race is not a matter of law. It's actually a matter of the heart. And then he went on to talk about this idea of belonging. Kind of like Paul said, you belong to each other. And be patient with me. I know when we, sometimes we talk about race or we talk about politics, it can strike a nerve, it can be tense, I get that. But this is about us. So he went on to say this idea of belonging is so powerful because white people and minorities can both be successful by the exact same standard of the world. But the white people can be successful without learning the concept of belonging. Whereas minorities have to come along and they can be successful by the exact same standard, but they really have to learn the ins and outs of this idea of belonging. Let that soak for just a moment. I would assume some of you are dismissing that. But let it sink in because I bet if it's not about race, that's still applicable to some of us. Because you come to a church, and especially if you're new here, and welcome, and we're so glad you're here, and we would love to connect with you. You come to a church, and maybe you hang around for a while, maybe you're fresh on the scene, and there's a group of people. And how do you really assimilate? How do you become us? How do you come to belong? It can be tricky, especially when we're so different. So in our family, you know, uh, we talk about a lot. One of our family values is this idea of individuality. And I tell some people that, and they're thinking, so what do you mean by that? They can be whatever they want, however they want, all that. No, 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 no. We believe in individuality. So we try to build into, you know, the husband, wife, and the children based on who they are, who we think God is calling them to be, shaping them up, wiring them, and all that. But we believe that it's individuality within the family, if you will. In other words, a decision that I make affects not only me, but also my wife and my children. 
And a decision that Christian may make may not only affect him, but also his sisters or Michelle and I. So we're integrated with one another. And we build that off of this idea of uh, Paul's teaching in Philippians chapter 2 flows right with this concept of belonging. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you should look to the interests of, your, of the others. You know what's interesting about this word interest? What do you think it means? Greek word. It simply means the things. The things. So when you look at people and people that you're supposed to belong to, and it's a church or it's us, there are things that make us different. Things that are of interest to us. Things maybe skin color or maybe socioeconomic levels or backgrounds or where we are on this faith journey or who we are, how many times we've been married or where we went to church in the past or what's going on with our current struggles. You've got to take notice of those things because we belong to each other. Is that powerful or what? Especially in a first century context, and I have to argue, especially in a 21st century context where it seems like we're becoming more and more and more fractured. Where are you going to find unity? Where are you going to find family, loyalty? You're supposed to be able to find it in the church. This is huge. Excuse me one second. So Paul goes on, chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. He says, so you got this. You know, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Sober judgment, safe judgment, checking yourself, your part, your belonging to this larger community. It's not at this point just about you. And at this point, it's not about others. It's about this collective community. So in this community, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Grace. So in your mind, five seconds, form your best definition of grace. So when we talk about mercy, we define mercy as not giving someone something they deserve in terms of discipline or punishment. Grace, on the other hand, is giving someone something they do not deserve, especially in the interest of of favor or blessing. In other words, it's made easy to cultivate the relationship, if you will. You think about you becoming a Christian. You may say it was hard or difficult or challenging because it was emotional or over time how it went down or maybe you had to sever some relationships and family or with friends or whatever. Maybe you had to move careers, switch careers and get a different job. So it could have been difficult in that way. But in terms of God accepting you, that's easy. That's grace. There's not a lot of loopholes, if you will. So when you come to understand this idea of us, it's anchored in the concept of grace. And grace has been given to every single one of us, regardless of the little things that make us different. So it's kind of beautiful. And when you think about grace... Let me speak at it a couple, just a couple of angles, if you will. Some of you, I would assume, wrestle with eternity. And not whether you believe in a heaven or a hell, but how you believe about how you measure up in God's eyes. Some of you are probably really legitimately concerned about hell 
sitting in here. Some of you are curious if you're going to hell. And it's not necessarily wrapped up in this mischievous behavior that you're currently involved in. You're just not sure of your salvation. One of my favorite authors, Jack Cottrell, brilliant guy. If you can read something by Jack Cottrell, please read it. But I want you to notice his quote, and I hope this speaks to you. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to you becoming a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and being promised of eternity in heaven, when it comes to salvation, forget about fairness. And that's where I bet some of you are. You've got the scales out. For every wrong thing you do, you must do a good thing to balance it out. Otherwise, God is going to send you to hell. Forget about fairness. If you want God to be fair with you on the day of judgment, you're going to go to hell. That's what all sinners deserve. If you really want to go to heaven, rather than fairness, you must think instead in terms of grace, where it's been made easy for you when you've been given something and maybe you do not deserve it. I love that idea of not fair, but making it easy. When it comes to us, we want to make relationships easy. We want them to be filled with grace, if you will. So I'm reading through a powerful book. Oh man, be patient, put your uh, judgments and assessions, uh, put them on pause for just a moment and think about what I'm saying with this book. It's called Gay Girl, Good God. Anybody read it? I would encourage you, if you like books that are built around faith, oh my goodness, this is so powerful. The author is Jackie Hill Perry, and she describes and outlines her journey through homosexuality and back to God. But I want you to notice some of the words. I'm going to read just a little to you. May I read to you? Is that okay if we don't have it on the screen? I'll do my best to enunciate and lose some of the Harlan County twang. So, okay. So just let me read it to you just for a moment. Just a couple of sentences here from a couple of different pages. I want you to notice her use of a certain term. Again, she's journeyed through homosexuality and back to God. This is so powerful, her faith journey. She says, I wrote this book. I wrote it out of love. And I know that's a common word, so used out of context today. But this work, this book, is not a miscommunication of my intentions. It's actually a direct product of it. And before writing, I lived out the words. A gay girl once, well, yes, I was. Now, now I am what God's goodness will do to a soul once grace gets it. I bet some of you could already amen that because of where you've been. And the grace of God got a hold of your soul. And it totally transformed you. She goes on. She says, this is recounting this experience she had, kind of her conversion, if you will, in her bedroom. She said, is God trying to get my attention by making my life harder or something? I bet some of you can identify with that too. She says, I mean, does God really want me that much? As a pastor, been around the block with the church for some time now, and I would assume that there's maybe a handful of you in here who feel that way. Does God really want me that much that he would, you fill in the blank. 
And she says, well, as grace would have it, he really does. He did. Grace is this powerful thing that changes people. It totally transforms. So when you become less of you, and it's not really about others yet, and it's about us, we're supposed to look out at other people and say, do I really want them in this community that much? As grace would have it, yes, yes. So Paul uses this word grace, and it's actually charis. So if you have a friend, um, her name's charis, it means grace, charis. And when we read the word charismata, that's about spiritual gifts. So this idea of grace drives everything we do when we're talking about us. So in Romans 12, uh, 6 through 8, reading from the NASB, if service in his serving, in other words, by the grace given us, we should form this community and grace should be ex- existent. So if you have the gift of serving, grace should be part of your serving. That's where it should be found. That's where we should see it the most. Or he who teaches in his teaching, grace should just flow from him. Or he who exhorts or encourages, same word for encouraging. In his encouragement, grace just exudes from the person. He who gives with liberality and isn't grace generous. So when you give, you give generously. Or he who leads with diligence, doesn't grace keep you going? Without grace, we would be immediately judged and basically life's over. But grace keeps us going. Or he, who, or he who shows mercy with cheerfulness and grace, it grinds life into us in such a way that we can see it from a different perspective. So the difficulties or the troubles, we can still have this joy or this cheer that moves us forward. It's beautiful what he's doing here. So here's what I want us to do, just a little differently. You know, we're going to stand and sing in just a moment. But I've been also reading through this book, The Love Dare. Familiar with it? The Love Dare. It's like a 40-day challenge for husbands and wives. You read a little chapter every day, and it's got some neat words about love. And then it has a prompt at the end, some kind of way that you can put love into action with your spouse. Well, if our series is Love in Action, and it's not just about you, and it's not about others yet. We'll get to that in the coming weeks. But it's about us. Let's do a little love dare. And I've got three for us. And I want you to listen to what I'm talking about for a few moments. And we're going to stand and sing anyway. So whichever dare that you want to take, will you stand up at that time? Then we'll all be ready to surrender our hearts and minds and worship to God. But let's stand when it's your dare and you want to act upon this. I dare you to stand up. And then I dare you to act upon that by putting love into action. Uh, Dare one, I dare you to greet someone. Uh, Last week I had the privilege of standing at this door to your back here and greeting some people. And it was really interesting seeing the different people come the way and how many of you all knew my name, which I get why, but I didn't in turn know you. And I try to know as many people and have coffee and talk with as many people as I possibly can. But I remember, man, there's so many people that I still don't know. So love and action dare number one. Maybe it's time you've been around here for a little bit. Maybe it's time for you to start greeting some people. And I don't mean serving at the back door necessarily. But maybe it's time to stop walking down the hallway 
with your eyes locked on the door. Maybe it's time to take a few moments, greet someone, talk with someone, and just open up a conversation or a dialogue, introduce yourself, but start thinking less about me or you and more about us. If that's you, would you go ahead and stand up? I know this is uncomfortable and awkward. All right, dare number two, dare number two. Why don't you get to know someone? And this is a little bit different than the introduction and so forth. This is taking it to another level. Get to know someone. One of my favorite phrases is building into someone else. And I know you're building into your family and you probably have some friends maybe off-site here. But what about us? Is there anyone that you can take note of and you can start cultivating a relationship with them, investing into them, developing that relationship? And I dare you to choose someone who's different than you. I dare you to choose someone that you know you probably wouldn't get along with. I dare you to choose someone that is so different than you, you don't even know what to talk about. I dare you to invest in someone like that. If that's you, will you, will you stand up if you want to take that dare? I know this is awkward and uncomfortable. All right, dare number three. Dare number three. When you think about us... I know life gets hard and challenging and tricky, especially in church, especially if we're calling ourselves a family, especially when we see each other, what, once a week, twice a week, something like that. And I would assume in a church of several hundred people like we have, there's probably a few rifts in some relationships. Maybe there's some antagonism, some difficulties. There's a little bit of history with you and so-and-so, And it's uncomfortable, so when you're passing each other, eyes go different ways, or you try to avoid, you slip into the restroom, you know, avoid at all contact. I dare you. I dare you to meet with that person. I dare you to find someone, if you're in a challenging relationship with someone where it's strained, I dare you to confess your contribution to the problem. I dare you to forgive someone. I dare you to try to think, let's go a little bit farther or further in this relationship and make things right. If that's you, would you stand up if you want to take that dare? We're only giving you three. And if you're not playing, that's fine. That's fine. This isn't, you know, on your eternal report card. All right. We're ready for worship. I want you to just think about that dare you're accepting. And I dare you to put that kind of love in action. And if you can, do it this morning. Father in heaven, we surrender to you. You know, some of us have deeply felt, deeply embedded opinions. And those are the things we act upon. And you know too well, Father, that we're making assessments or judgments too early about someone else. And we have no idea what you're actually doing in their lives. Thank you for my experience last week, God. Where you reminded me that you were at work in people's lives when I don't even understand it. I'm not even thinking about it. I praise you for that. And right now, Father, we want to accept the dare that you have given us to become us. And to forge and form a community here. A community where we introduce ourselves and we meet people. 
where we invest in people and we build those relationships. And when appropriate, we confess and we repent and we restore our relationships. Father, we want to give us all the attention that you want us to. And as we do, if it's challenging or difficult for some of us, then Father, we pray that you fill us with a reminder of your grace given to us and you show us how to give that grace to others. Help us to make it easy, just like you did for us. Father, right now we surrender to you, our hearts and minds, our difficulties, our strained relationships. Right now we surrender those to you in worship. And we pray, as Monty says quite frequently, that we can encounter you here in this moment. And as always, we pray and we praise you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.